This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What's up, guys? I'm here with Cousin Scott. Hello. And uh, we want to talk about the different tests we've been doing and watching movies on different displays. Um, and unlike everything else that we've ever done retro RGB related, unfortunately, we're just going to have to ask that you take our word for it, uh, which drives me insane because good nerds prove their work. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't have any possible way to capture 4K video. Yeah. I don't have any way to capture 3D video. Um, and the, the actual, like, uh, 1080p 60 video recordings I've taken of the CRTs, uh, it doesn't, for whatever reason, it doesn't go through, so... And these were just sort of informal tests in the first place, just for our own edification. I don't think we even thought we were going to make a video at first, right? We so. have never planned on making a video on this until I started talking about our tests to so many different people. I really felt that it actually justified a podcast about it. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll try to throw in some video examples and splice them in where I can, but this is the only time in the history that, or that we've been doing retro RGB that we're just going to have to talk about it and not show anything, which sucks because I make fun of people for that. But, yeah. you know, um, the only other disclaimer is that uh, Scott and I are both extremely knowledgeable in this stuff, but I, I would never call myself an all right, uh, an all around expert in everything that we're going to be talking about. And I am notorious for fumbling my words on the podcast. I very often say things like upscaler instead of processor or words that sound the same like component composite. So, you know, uh, all of our testing was correct and all the things we talk about are genuinely what we found while we were doing it. But, um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it was, it was, these were informal tests and, this, and it was interesting enough that we felt we wanted to talk about it. It's exactly. not like we didn't put through the rigor that a lot of the retro RGB stuff had. Right. So this is a bit more fun, but they were fun experiments to run. Yeah, I enjoyed the show yeah. all that. So I guess we should start with the one that's most uh, most related to the channel. Um, it involves a 32-inch BVM, um, and uh, the one that's behind Scott. Uh, ever since I blew my back out, I can't lift that stuff anymore. So it's now on the the bottom roller. But one of the tests that we did that I was really fascinated by was the Knight Rider 2000 movie. Uh, From the 90s, it was a made-for-TV movie, and as far as made-for-TV movies go, it was actually awesome. As far as actual movies go, it was like a pretty good Knight Rider episode. (laughs) That's about it. It was a pretty good Knight Rider episode, yeah. Yeah. Um, But I wanted to know how we could get it to look the best, because uh, even through an Oppo Blu-ray player that does an amazing job at upscaling, it looked like garbage on my OLED. I mean, all, and not in a good way. Not in a way where, like, you know, you could see film grain or you, you could see the, you know, the stuntman. Not at all in a good way. You just, all you saw was noise. It was very, uh, I, I actually am not really sure how that one was made on the DVD. It was put as a bonus feature on the season one Night Rider box set. 
Was it the DVD set or was it the Blu-ray set? It was the DVD set. Okay. So as because it was a bonus feature, they did not really spend. I'm assuming they didn't really spend much time trying to make it look good. I think that like it was after the life of the actual show had run its course. Maybe we'll talk about the show a little bit, but I mean, like, it doesn't have the music, it doesn't have the car. I think it was like viewed as you know, like a like a DVD extra, like a, something to that effect. Right. So the episode itself, you're correct at, but the box set was at the time where um, this was right at the DVD boom, where people were going, "Holy crap, we can get every episode of my favorite TV show. Let's buy them." And then most people realized they bought them and never watched them because no one, except crazy people, sit there and watch all hundreds episodes of things. Um, and yes, I will go back and do a recap of the entire Knight Rider series at some point. But I'll, I'll look forward to listening to it, not watching it. <laughs> but the point is, I think this is a perfect, perfect example of something that is... Uh, it was not tweaked for quality. It was probably just thrown on. It was it might even still actually be in 480i on the DVD, but you know your players might scale it, whatever it is. And obviously the player would have a, you know, a small amount to do with it, depending on. Um, but the, the, the test started with, since this looks like absolute garbage on my OLED through one of the best Ultra HD Blu-ray players you can get, I think, as far as I know, the best, um, how is it going to look on a CRT, comparatively speaking? Um, and there's a couple factors involved, so let's just start with the BVM, 32-inch BVM. Now, uh, we had it running through component video in 480p. So the player itself was either playing it in its native 480p format or doing deinterlacing from 480i to 480p. Let's just assume it was 480p on the DVD. Yeah. Just, we'll give them that much. Um, so the, the first thing that I noticed when we were started setting up before we even get into the video quality is even though it was a 4x3 movie, um, because it was on a DVD, it was outputting 16 by 9. So when I did try to pump it through the 4x3 37-inch mega view, um, I had a little bit of issues, and uh, I just—it's uh, something where you could use zoom features with a Raspberry Pi. You could easily do it. But this is before I showed up. Before you even showed up, I just figured, let me see what happens, and you get letterbox. So you get. You get the same top and bottom black bars that you would get if it was a 16 by 9 movie, but because it was a 4 by 3 and a 16 by 9 frame, you're looking at a square image. Wait, I'm, I'm sorry, stop for a second. So this is a movie that was shot in 4.3. Yes, made for and the, and the video of the, the image itself was 16 by 9? So I don't know if it was the way the video is encoded or if it's the way the player interpreted it, which I'm sure anybody watching could probably comment on this. But the bottom line is, the, uh, the Blu-ray player I used to go out to 480p... Um, oh, it was a Blu-ray It was player. a Blu-ray oh, player okay. playing a DVD in 480p. Um, it put it... It treated the image as if it was a 16 by 9 image. So you've got it here and here. And I, so if, you, if you use a DVD player, you can set 4.3 and 16 by 9 on the Blu-ray, on the DVD player. Really? The DVD setting. This but was maybe not a Blu-ray player. We did so. not use the Oppo. We used a Sam, a, a, a very good Samsung, but not on the level of an Oppo. Um, and this uh, this monitor's RGB inputs was having were kind of on the fritz, so I just figured we would skip that for the test anyway. But that, at the very least, 
if you're planning on doing something like this, watching older content on, uh, you know, on square four by three TVs, you should at least take that into account that you're gonna have to make sure your player could do that. Or, and if it can't, if there's this come some kind of zoom function or something you could do, but. I mean, generally speaking, DVD players have an aspect ratio feature on it. Now, like, I don't know about trying to run a Blu-ray player in there, but I watch tons of old movies and, you know, movies made before the... Yeah, movies that, I mean, if they're, they're, they're from the DVD, and if it's from the, you know, the 50s or earlier, it's going to be in 4.3 almost guaranteed anyway. Lots of stuff. So, TV shows. And then TV shows, too. But, like, I was watching the old movies, but, like... And for years, I was just running off of a 4.3 TV, and it was just the best way to watch them. Um, and that was a matter of switching a setting on the blue. Wait, you have a 4x3 and 480p TV? No, I had a 240p, or I had a 480i TV, but like it was still, it, this is right. an aspect ratio thing. So that's, that's the thing that I found. Um, and maybe I'm just unlucky. I, I've had experience with 20 DVD players, maybe, uh-huh. in my life. Infinitely more Super Nintendo experience than DVD player experience, but um, the DVD players I had that ran in 480i, absolutely. But I think a lot of the manufacturers took oh, it was lock it into four into 16 by 9 when you were running 480p. Right, and I think their perspective was trying to make it easier for people at home. Uh-huh. So um, if it's 480i, almost. Guaranteed, it's probably going to be a four by three square TV. If it's sixteen by nine, um, it can go either way. Mm-hmm. So I did have, um, I did have, no, I never had a four eighty p, four by three TV. The Luvas I had were both They're sixteen by nines. Yeah. So that is, so I guess this is a really long way of saying um, this is not as easy as plugging it in. Check to make sure your DVD player can do it, um, but uh, playing it. And I also did check on a 480i square TV, and it was good, but not great. So getting to the good stuff, 480p component into this BDM, um, because it was sending 16 by 9 into a 16 by 9, it was perfectly centered. Um, and the downside that I found was because this thing is so freaking sharp and amazing. I did see a lot of transfer noise. Whether the original video wasn't that great because it was meant to be seen on, you know, on a TV broadcast or not, um, but the good sides outweighed all of it. I thought it looked great. As far as this image is concerned, I think it looks great. And if I was to like posit my hypothesis as to what the source material is, is like let's assume that for this like rando made-for-TV movie, they didn't want to rescan it. And they are probably driving off, and this is not an HD. It's not the HD era again. So you're still dealing with like 480i or 480p at best in the first place. I'm guessing that they probably just ran off of their original broadcast masters, which are probably on either DigiBeta or Beta SP. Um, which would be 480i then, right? Well, that's what I'm wondering. I I I I, I, I wasn't thinking when I was in film school. We would use Beta SP. For 480i type content, but I think DigiBeta had 480p mode. I, I can't really remember at this point. But um, my guess is that they just used their original content because it's it was made for a television back in the day, and then you were going to be watching it on probably the same TV when they ripped it to the, to the DVD. Mm-hmm. So my my guess is that that would have been the path of least resistance, and. Evidenced by the fact that, you know, not to jump the gun again, but it didn't look so great on this thing, but this used to be my TV, 
and I watched a ton of 480p DVD content on it through the uh, HDMI in the back of it, and like I've seen movies look better than that. So, so let's let's go to that part then, because that I found fascinating, and that opened up a whole other door of questions that I had. Um, this is, I'll put the model number in the description, but this is a widescreen consumer grade Sony TV. One of the few consumer grade CRTs to ever be shipped with an HDMI input. Um, and so the one thing that I noticed about it is all content that you pump into it is processed through its onboard video processor. Um, unlike a professional grade monitor, you know, if you send a BVM or a PVM, 240p, 480i, 480p. It's going to, it's going to present that exact image, whereas that TV had a processor in it that processed everything. So um, I don't know what if it does, because it's inherently a 1080i tube. I don't know if it converts everything to 1080i. I don't know if it converts everything to 720p, including downscaling 1080i to 720p. I don't know, and I would actually really love to know the answer to that for anybody that, uh, that has done tests on these. I'm pretty sure it doesn't go to 1080i, because what I would run through this thing for almost everything that I consumed while it was in circulation in my house was through my PS3, mm -hmm. which I locked to 720p on it. You can set the video settings on it, and I just turned off the option of clicking over 1080p or 1080i. Yeah. So it was always in 1080i or 720p. And before I came to that conclusion, I tested it with 1080i a little bit first, and um, I mean, it looked different and it looked crappy, which is why I decided I would just prefer the the, the progressive scan to look like mode of it. So yeah, it definitely produces some kind of a, a progressive look when you with that particular color. definitely. Um, and the one regret I have in this experiment is what we really should have done is we should have started out and watched 10 minutes of the movie on its off-camera, but a standard 480i square TV. Then we should have watched this. Then we should have watched the, the consumer grade, and we should have ended with the BBM, because as much as I really love that consumer grade Sony, and I think it's a phenomenal TV, what was your reaction when we switched from it? Oh, it looked terrible. I mean, it, really looked, I mean it, looks, it looks really good on this TV, so I think that that like, amplified the all the little artifacting that you would see. The, the yeah. worst of it was when there was white on the screen, it created that like rainbowy effect along the edge of it, like without fail every time you saw it. Right. And that leads me to believe, I, I, I think that getting into this, which like almost gets a little bit um, psychological or um, just the way that your eye like interprets like some of these images, because I think that it, we saw it looking okay on this screen, and then the transfer came down and it looked like this. But I can say for sure that like every time there was white on the screen, it didn't go to complete shit when I was watching it at home. I mean, it looked worse than a regular television, in my opinion, like a regular like 480i one. So I think that the there's something about the that particular movie that we were watching that was particularly conducive to like nasty little edge artifacting right. and stuff like that. Which is actually why I think it was the perfect thing to do this test. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, I, I completely agree. But the, that that is a big thing about professional grade and broadcast monitors. Um, isn't just the line count. This is a thousand line monitor, so it's obviously. You know, it's obviously going to be a sharper image. And that means top to bottom, right? Like, it's horizontal yes. wise? Yeah. So, the, the thing about these, though, is 
the the actual video processing that it does keeps it as pure as possible. I mean, they literally would calibrate Hollywood movies on these things, so that it had to be. Whereas, you know, your typical, I think this was $2,200, $2,300 when it was brand new, your typical HD, CRT, high-end, consumer-grade TV does not have the technology that a $55,000 broadcast monitor does. So the way it processes the video is going to have a big effect on it. And I might be wrong about this, but I'm going to go under the assumption that a TV that takes a 480i signal and sticks it on a tube as 480i is going to require much less processing than a TV that needs mm -hmm. to send it to a high-def tube, because you essentially much, in fact, exactly like flat screens, the upscaler in your flat screen will very well determine the picture that you get. Sure. And we sent it in via HDMI into this, right? We did send it in. component on this guy, and it was HDMI on this guy. Well, I think we tried both, and it was it looked identical. Component in HDMI on that? Or maybe I, I, I don't think we did, because I know that unless we messed with this, the settings in this, I actually like hadn't used component for like a few years with this tube, so I turned it off. So I don't remember turning That's that right. mode back on. I did it. I did it afterwards because I didn't have to turn that back on. But oh, okay. when my my post experiment tests happened, it was uh, it looked the same. Okay. So, um, but I mean that's a big factor, right? Because it's exactly like those new TCL TVs, where a friend of mine bought one, and a couple guys in the forum who also have very high end TVs were talking about it and ranting about it. And we fired up, I think, the Netflix app or something, or you know, something that could display 4K content. And I know Netflix compression is garbage, by the way. Their 4K, the Punisher in 4K was like, or maybe it wasn't the Punisher. Well, one of them the Punisher had its own problems. It yeah. did a bunch of post-processing filters and stuff on it. Like, but when then I, I put like uh, an Xbox One S and an Ultra HD Blu-ray through that same set, it looked amazing. So. Once again, it's the same thing. You're relying on the onboard upscaler, hoping that it's going to get it right. And unlike LCDs, which you know has the fixed resolution, I don't know what that tube is, and I don't even know if we fed it the correct resolution would make a difference. Yeah, I mean, like that would be the big question mark if we could, if we were taking this test more seriously. I think I would like to understand a little bit more why this didn't produce like a terrific image, but yeah. at the same time, like. That's purely academic. There's really like so little value in like solving that riddle in the first place, you know. Yeah, and we're also comparing it to a 32-inch BBM. Yeah. So please take that into consideration when you're hearing this stuff. I mean, it's still, I still liked watching it on the consumer-grade Sony versus my OLED TV. I still thought it produced a more true-to-form image. Um, but I think the conclusion that I came to after these tests was. Really, it surprised me a lot more than I thought it would. But watching content that uh, that's really not good enough for flat screens, so made for TV movies, old TV shows that were only you know that were never they never did a great job and and rescanned them to Blu-ray. Um, having any professional grade CRT, so even a PVM that supports 480p, I thought it looked phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I think that was by by far the way to go. And I realize not everybody can have a D32, but you can absolutely find yourselves some kind of progressive CRT. Even if you just use a VGA monitor, and then you convert 480p mm -hmm. component to 480p VGA. And you know, just as a slight like addendum to this conversation, so I used to have a 
PVM that did 480p. Bob has got the model number, I'm sure. 20L5. And um, I put it to use for a little while because I had on my hands a bunch of Russ Meyer films. Russ Meyer who made titty films, basically. But there were artsy parts of titty films that I happened to think are cool. And um, I got a bunch of DVDs and I didn't realize that they were PAL. And so they were just sort of collecting dust in my collection for a long time. And then one day I was like, you know what? I bet I could plug that into my PBM and it'll just work. And sure enough, it did work. And, um, you know, these are like, this is like a, essentially like a bootleg is what I had my hands on. It was a decent transfer from a bootleg. but And how did you connect it? Through a PC? No, through a DVD player. I had, okay. a, I had an old DVD player and uh, it was region free. So it didn't... Um, it didn't click over into like it didn't give me a region restriction, but it I, I could set the, the okay. setting on. Um, and uh, it uh, I'll tell you, it looked really good, hmm. and I kind of felt like I wasn't expecting to have like a world class viewing experience of this film, and uh, I really think I had watched it under best possible circumstances. And around that time, I thought to myself like maybe I should watch all my DVDs on this thing. But it's an end up working out that. Yeah, I thought that too. And there have been DVDs that were really well done that look great on my plasma that you now have. The um, G GT25 50-inch Panasonic plasma. That thing was amazing. And uh, I now have the LG OLED 65-inch. And a really well-made uh, you know, 480p DVD looks fine on those. Um, you know, maybe I would like it better on this, but something that, that they took their time in post-processing and made the DVD nice. I don't know, it's debatable. But I think my, uh, my conclusion through these tests were that if you have the choice to, a 480p CRT for something that, especially 4x3 content, you know, TV shows made for TV movies, I would absolutely choose to watch that on a tube. And I would even say, you know, I have a 65-inch fucking OLED, I would rather put it on uh, a 20 inch um, or even a 17 inch VGA monitor on a rolling cart and roll it you know, right in front of me than do that. I think that would be overall a better experience. I mean, if you're used to the rolling it up in front of you experience, I think that that's a terrific way to consume content. I think a lot of people just are, are used to watching their screen on the other side of the room. And True. it's like, I think it's part to do with just the fact that we've been it's always been a matter of like rolling it up to you because it kind of gives you that like arcade experience where you're always close to the screen. Yeah, you also have the, to remember that generally speaking, uh, the people that have followed our work are not the type of people to uh, to leave all of the post processing on on their flat screens. Mm -hmm. All of you awesome fucking nerds are the guys that turn all that off and know how to calibrate your TV, even if you don't go through the calibration. So that that type of person. Um, who who could see the difference between a flat screen with all of that, you know, filtering turned on and not? Is the same type of person that would say, "Why wouldn't I spend fifty bucks on a roller cart and you know roll something over?" And you know, and I've even seen people uh, who have amazing home theater systems who do the same thing. They just put their center channel speaker above, and I know you're not supposed to, but they calibrate it and put it above their TV and not below it. So when they need to roll over their CRT or whatever else, they still have the perfect surround sound. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I like that idea. You know, that's something that's worth thinking that, about. I've been thinking about uh, surround sound for my apartment, and uh, 
would be good to be able to get the PBM or the, the, the BBM working with it too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, my uh, my conclusion, and I have watched a few things on this. I've watched a bunch of things on my other monitors, and I would definitely say if it's a uh, weird content, just watch it on a really good 480p too. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. If you have access to like weird stuff. Like let's say you got like a bunch of hard to find stuff, you gotten it off of like, the original Japanese like, master of Dune. Yeah, exactly that kind of stuff. The four like, hour version. And, and you've got one of these lying around, like it, it's a great resource for that. So yeah. I got a question for you. So yeah. with the finickiness of BBMs in general, yes. Do you? Th we've talked about that like a number of times, but it's always been in the context of the video games. Mm -hmm. Do we? Do you have any expectation that? Um, you know, just sort of consumer-grade video would produce similar problems, or are they? is it going to be a little bit more stable in that context? So, once a signal... So I guess the, a quick explanation in that um, all of the PVMs that we've tested, you plug a signal into it, you turn it on, and it works. And that's it. The worst the worst you'll have is some of the ones like uh, the, my 14, um, 14M2U, where you have to press the button combination on the front to set it. You know, um, that's it. You got it set and you're fine. All of the BVMs I've seen have some kind of strangeness. You have to, there's a sync issue. There's some where the horizontal sync slices don't work right on like master system where you get the curvature. There's some that just don't work at all because um, the signal is just slightly off. But TV and movies are all video standards. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So you won't run into any of those issues. The worst thing that you might run into with a BVM is that, uh, the whole, the entire horizontal sync slice issue with uh, Master System, it's the same thing if you take a VCR and you, if you play it, it's fine, but then you hit fast forward, it freaks out the sync signal. So you might have to change inputs and change back once you're done fast forwarding or rewinding. Gotcha. Um, so all the other content you watched was in a similar way? Or did you ever use like the SDI on the back of this? Oh like yeah, that? but here's the thing: when I I watched a bunch of stuff in 720p HD SDI, and there was no advantage of this over a calibrated OLED or plasma, simply because this screen is so fucking perfect that in 720p it might as well be a flat screen. You know, you barely see any kind of scan lines at all, and. It just, even when uh, I watched the Knight Rider Blu-rays, so the TV show, not the made-for-TV movie, I didn't like it in 720p on this because it was exactly like my OLED. I liked dialing it down to 480p so it looked like the original TV series, huh. but, you know, just not, not as super sharp. Because, actually, I won't get into it too much, but one of the things that I loved and hated about the Knight Rider Blu-rays were that you saw all of the stuntmen you saw all of like the the ramps that they built, which on the one hand is amazing because it proved that the, you know this is pre CGI. They really took a piece of shit Trans Am and drove it over a ramp over a yeah, truck. Yeah, uh, that's what I love. But at the same time, watching like a you know a, a five foot five, two hundred and sixty pound guy put on a curly haired wig and pretend to be David Hasselhoff, <laughs> I'd rather just watch it in four eighty p where it's still better, but you know not as crazy. Oh. Um, let's move on to the other thing, because this is the other thing that I was not expecting in the slightest. Uh, we watched, we watched a movie, and before everybody makes fun of the choice of movie, it was the old, it was the most recent movie, and I think the only one in the second half of 2017 that was shot in 4K 3D. 
At least 4K 3D. Actually, most of the movie was higher than that. Yes. So, yeah. uh, now, there is no home 4K 3D format. You could only see that in theaters. And 99.9% of theaters are not true. They're bullshit screens. They're not real IMAX. They're, but besides the point. Um, so we got Transformers the... The Last Night. The Last Night, which I think is the fifth one? It's the five. It's the last one. It's the last. The latest one. Whatever. It's Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch's third, second. I don't know. But um, uh, it's the second one I've seen. The point (laughs) of the movie was that it was the only way we could find a true 4K movie and a movie that was true 1080p 3D. Shot natively in 3D, not doing doing a post conversion. And apparently the masters were were uh, done individually. Or, or maybe they mastered it in uh, whatever it was. It was specifically calibrated for both formats. Mm-hmm. So uh, while some of my friends, uh, most notably Tobias, drove him nuts that the aspect ratio would change, so sometimes you get the black bars and sometimes you wouldn't, that actually didn't bother me at all. Well, that for what it's worth, let's explore that for just a second. Because okay. that that's not because it was shot. The, the reason why that was was because they shot it in the same logic as uh, Christopher Nolan for IMAX presentation. Right. And there, you know, if you watch a proper IMAX movie and a proper IMAX screen, you'll realize that the screen is much more square mm-hmm. than um, a full screen. I, I think it's like 1.4 or something like that. It, it, it's much, much taller it, it, than, a, than a regular 4.3 screen. Right. And... Um, you know, if uh, when Christopher Nolan was shooting his actual IMAX 70 millimeter film stock, um, there's all this extra screen real estate that when you see it in the theater, it fills the entire IMAX screen. And when he converted these films to Blu-ray, uh, for instance, The Dark Knight and Interstellar and The Dark Knight Rises and all that, um, the native 35 millimeter content was shot at, was shot in anamorphic widescreen, um, which means that you you have a on a 635 screen, aspect, you still have a black bar on the top and the bottom. Yeah. But when you um, when he when you, he was using the actual IMAX footage, if he wanted to show the entire image, he would have been cropping. Uh, th- there would have been column bars on the side of it because the IMAX screen is wider. Or is taller, taller than, the, than yeah. the regular screens. <clears throat> so there is a crop that occurs, but those shots are all shot to not take up the entire frame anyway. It bothers some people, it didn't yeah. really bother me at all. Anyway, uh, the last night, which was not shot, as far as I'm aware, on IMAX stock, but it was shot for IMAX using latest and greatest IMAX cameras, um, often I think at 6 and 8K resolution, Mm-hmm. Um, you know the same logic applies. Right. So for the the big set piece moments, and even just for like individual shots here and there, um, where they would shoot it on those like screen filling IMAX cameras for that video transfer, those images are actually cropped on the sides when you look at it on the TV screen. Mm-hmm. But it it fills the screen rather than uh, the regular content, which has which has a letterbox bars. Gotcha. So that's the content we use. I don't even think. I don't even think we told... Alright, sorry. It's the last night. We, we didn't I've been it. drinking. The, uh, the point of that was I wanted to see what was a better at-home experience on a movie that was done right, not a post-processed crap, uh, and on a good TV. Is 4K better? 
or is 1080p 3D better? Mm -hmm. uh, and also, um, does the player make a difference? We tried a bunch of different players. Yeah, so, we, we went. We ended up. We thought we were going to run two tests, but at the end of the session, like we, ended, yeah. we ended up trying every single thing. Like, let's try it this way. <laughs> so uh, now that you know the content and how it was presented and everything. Uh, the first thing we did was watch it through an Xbox One S with the latest software update, which is really important because it was outputting um, too bright. It's a detailed explanation why, but essentially too bright. The latest software update fixed that. Um, the one thing I will say that we didn't get to test is I actually can notice a difference between my Oppo player and the Xbox. Uh, and the Oppo is... I mean, we're talking one chip to, to calibrate one chip levels. It's still this much, but um, but it was still great. So we Wait, just, is this your brand new Oppo? Yes, the uh, UDP203, the 4K. Oh, so you, you didn't even have that when I was when I, we did this experiment. Okay. Cool. But point is, it was still great. So while there were better options when we ran the test, it's still a great option. And the first thing we did was watch the 3D Blu-ray through the same media, through the Xbox One S. Now, one might argue that a player such as the Oppo would do a better job upscaling, but it actually doesn't even apply to this because we watched 20 minutes of that movie, maybe 30. No, we watched about 45-minute chunks. It was a long movie, so That's we, right. we had to watch it for a while. So in 3D, we got through a bunch of action shots, a bunch of dialogue, 1080p 3D. Then we ejected the disc and through the same player, the same TV... Uh, I made sure to calibrate each resolution. In fact, some of it you were there for. That was a bit of a trick. Yeah, you had to keep we had to keep changing the settings. Then we put in the 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray, and I immediately and absolutely noticed more detail in certain scenes, without a doubt. Okay. Um, now it wasn't a massive difference. It was nowhere near DVD to Blu-ray, not even close. But I still noticed the difference. But I felt overall. Even five minutes into the 4K, even though it was more detail, the 3D experience overall was more enjoyable. Oh, I completely agree. Now, I would say up front that, like, most film... I, I think that, like, one of the big revelations for me was that, like, Michael Bay actually seems to have a handle on 3D, which I wouldn't have given him... I wouldn't have given him the benefit of the doubt of it, to be honest. Right. But, um... The, the truth of the matter when it pertains to 3D is that there's a decreasingly like small like subset of filmmakers that could even use the 3D very well in the first place. Yeah. But if they did, every single shot that is in this movie is loaded up with a set of creative decisions as far as the 3D is concerned. They had to decide where everything was going to fall in every single shot. That's a lot of like creative work and there's sometimes like creative solutions to like Getting around interesting spaces. There's a throwaway scene that takes place in a, in like a museum with dinosaur bones in it. Right, right, right. I'm so much happier that I saw that in 3D because fucking T-Rex bones look cool in 3D. Yeah, you can see through it, or you can see the depths of everything. And and not to but, not to sidetrack too much, but Scott and I have watched a ton of 3D content, and if it's done right, it's amazing. If it's done wrong. It, at, at worst, it hurts your eyes, and at best, it's tolerable, but adds nothing. Yeah, so, I'd say that more often than not, when you're watching 3D content, it just doesn't seem like the film, like, like the, the the real auteur of the document of the film, like really put all that much thought into the 3D. And if you watch something where people were like clearly obsessed, or just very talented filmmakers, like for instance, um, 
Martin Scorsese's Hugo, like, right. seems to me like Martin Scorsese and like one of the world's greatest cinematographers, Robert Richardson, thought what would like how to make this shot like have maximum impact in 3D in every single shot in the movie, and the you know the proof is in the pudding. But like, yes. it's just dozens and dozens of mediocre movies where they're just like, well. Uh, Throw a hundred grand at like doing the post op on it, and we'll make like you know an extra five percent. That's why. Terms. That's half the reason why the format died. Three yeah. D died because more than half of the three D Blu rays out there were crappy post production. Um, and the other half of it was because movie theaters were like, look, throw us a bone. Don't don't give everybody the same experience everywhere because people with calibrated TVs. I stopped going to most movie theaters because if it literally was blurrier than the TV I have 10 feet in front of me, why am I going to the movies? So that was the other thing where people were like, hey, let, let a good theater be the only 4K 3D experience. And also, the, I mean, just in practice, I think the darkness is a huge problem. I mean, I think people, people enjoyed the novelty of 3D at first, but like... The, the images are darker and there's no way around it um, without no, going to the laser right projectors, so... What's up? Not when it's done right. No, everything that runs off of a regular like arc light is is going to be too dark in a in a three D presentation. Absolutely. Like, oh, you mean you're talking about theaters that don't have the right equipment? Well, the right equipment is brand new. Yeah. The, the right equipment is in almost no. There's only like two screens in New York City, to my knowledge, that like that have the right. I'm going to go with the one Lincoln Lincoln Center. Lincoln Center. Lincoln, Center. Lincoln Plaza has two screens. As their IMAX, and they have a they have a regular movie theater that's running off of a, off of a laser light housing, which you can you know generally speaking how that's going to work when it, if it rolls out, which it probably will. The main pitch on it is that the laser produces so you know the way that you need to have a single point of light in a film projector or a video projector, otherwise it's going to create a double image as it passes through the lens. So you need to create a light that's bright enough to fill up that whole screen, but it has to be a single source. And the brightest source that they have available like prior to this, this new technology is to create an arc. So the way it works is inside the, the tube of the light bulb, there are these two contacts, you touch them together, and then you mechanically pull them apart, and there's a spark that goes between the two of them. And that's the light that lights the entire screen. Huh. There's only so far away that you can pull the two nodes apart from each other before the spark breaks. Dissipates. So that the, the further away it goes, the brighter the image is, and you have a limit as to how how far away you can go. Otherwise, you break it. Now, IMAX had a solution to get around that, but it was crazy complicated and expensive, and nobody used it by IMAX. But the way the laser housings work is, you can pump up. You just make a more powerful laser, basically. And they just shoot that through, and you've got like you know a order of magnitude brighter image. Huh. And the pitch to these houses is one, it can handle the 3D content better, and two, um, you know like if you were if you're stand near a movie projector, like it's hot as hell. All that heat is wasted energy, and like movie theaters spend thousands, tens of thousands of dollars every year on electricity. And these laser housing is—it's the same thing as like having an LED. Like it's almost like it's a cold light, basically. So it's uh, supposed to like pay for itself over time. And we'll see how it ends up like rolling out in the theaters. But the bottom line is, if you're using passive glasses or active glasses too, 
you've basically got to get like a 400% brighter image to be able to produce like a one-to-one -one like comparison. Interesting. Um, and it's just, you, you can't do it. Like 3D movies in a regular movie theater, with the exception of like the bleeding edge, like, you know, um, premier IMAX screen in the United States. I got one less than 10 blocks from my house. Yeah, right. <laughs> I had to travel for an hour and 10 minutes to get to it. Like with the exception of those like brand new screens, like everything's gonna be done. And that's like something that like people like, like enthusiasts like you and me of 3D in general is something that we just have to kind of like suck up because again there's value in seeing the creative like the, the creative things that people do with it. Oh yeah. But and in the case of the last night, like absolutely the case. Like we had like in in, in something that we could talk about like the ways in which that 4K image was superior. But even if that image was superior, you're losing all of those decisions that the filmmakers are making to make that 3D image. Yeah. That said, since there's such a small minority of films that like leave and take advantage of that, you know, uh, it's great that we're going to get to watch Casablanca in 4K. It's great that we're going to get right. to watch The Godfather in 4K and all the thousand, if they even release them. To be honest right, with you, right. there's not. It, it, it hasn't really taken off as a format yet, but. It's it's a more versatile format, and it's great to have like a very near to cinema experience using this technology. But in the case of this very specific narrow example, I think that the 3D was better. Yeah. So that's the thing that really shocked me, and I've done some I've done some other tests afterwards. Uh, but if a movie is done properly in 3D. I, and there's a movie that I, I don't know why I just I really like it I've seen it like four or five times The Darkest Hour Aliens Invade and it's about these American guys in Russia while the aliens it's called The Darkest Hour yeah it, that is real 3D and while I don't it's the 3D effect has to be why I like the movie so much because it just was done really in a really cool way not in a cheesy like oh things are jumping out at you like you get the depth of a lot of shots there's a couple of like you know edge of your seat moments, and I like I find myself looking down the street to see if the aliens are coming, which you don't really get unless you have that uh -huh. true 3D effect. But I would definitely say that if a movie is done correctly, I would prefer the experience in 3D over 4K. And I mean the, uh, that Transformers movie was a was a great example. The only one I, I wish. Uh, I wish they'd have a 4K master so we could do the test too. Uh, is there a movie, uh, your favorite director, Bernard Herzog, um, The Cave of Forgotten Dreams? I don't think that that was, I think that was shot in 2K. Uh, yeah, it was only shot in 2K, but that was, that was the movie that completely changed my perspective of 3D movies. Because, Good. you know, uh, I believe it was actually shot in 3D, but most of it was like, the you know the 3D camera that you strap to a drone, like the you know the well, a lot of it is post op. Really? Well, yeah, a but lot the, of it but the best content of... the best content is at the, the end, end of the film, and that shot of the proper 3D. Camera. So the, I, I've actually seen the movie three times now. We saw it once on the the plasma. Um, I saw it a second time uh, by myself. The last time I just watched it, I watched the entire movie in 2D until the very end where they go back into the cave. And, you know, spoilers, it's about, they found a cave in France, which had... The Chauvet uh, Caves. Yeah, which had paintings on it done by cavemen. And the way they drew the paintings, you could tell that with, the, you know, the fire in the middle of the cave, and the flames, the reflection of the flames dancing on the wall, it looked like 
the paintings were dancing. It looked like people were running. And if you were, if I had just seen it in 2D, I, I mean, I would have loved it, but seeing it in 3D, so you could see how the, the caveman artist used the contour of the cave. Yeah, it's painted on the cave, so you want to capture that, that depth oh, of the cave shape. There yeah. is no way anybody could ever grasp the awesomeness of that without seeing it in, in person or in 3D. So. And it's completely unavailable to see in person, except for like right, scientific yeah. research, because it's too valuable. Exactly. So a lot of people shit on 3D, and I've seen a lot of terrible, terrible 3D movies. I have almost all of them. Yeah. And uh, it's a, yeah. But when done right, even though that really awesome 4K master of Transformers, I mean, there was so much detail in every scene, I absolutely preferred experience. Before we end on the subject of the 4K, I, I don't know if, how, what, about you, but what really sold me on the concept, and it's also worth noting that you were we were watching it on a good screen. A great screen? It's like on it, a it, good player. It has it's a good player, but like we were watching it, like 4K content on a 4K TV, it has all the HDR features, and it's, mm -hmm. it's OLED, so the contrast is like actually there. So if you were to watch I, I, could, I could be wrong about this. We haven't done any tests to, the, to my knowledge. I, I certainly have. I don't think you have either. But, like, I want to talk about HDR for a second. And my question is, if you don't have that extreme contrast that's available with the OLED, like, are some of these, like, LCDs... Are, are these 4K LCDs, like, running with the same contrast ratio as, like, that's the 1080p question. ones? I mean, like, I don't really know, but I felt that, like, when we were watching this content with the HDR on, the HDR made a bigger impact for, with me than the extra resolution did. I mean, because when we were comparing um, the Blu-ray, the 3D Blu-ray to the to the the 4K, obviously like we were just focusing on the difference between 2D and 3D, but we also ran an experiment where we were watching the 3D Blu-ray in 2D mode, and then we compared it back there, and like it's clear as day that there's extra resolution to enjoy when you're watching it in 4K. But really, what sold me, which really gave me what I thought was like the true cinematic experience, was all that extra color depth. And it's a it, it's a subtle effect. It's not the kind of th it's not like going from DVD to Blu-ray or anything like that. And it wasn't gimmicky either. There wasn't a bunch of no, no, it, contrasty it, shots. It's there. closer to getting the natural experience in the film. Like you have to like you know compress the color resolution of you know everything that we've ever watched at home is has less color depth than what we would see in the movie theater certainly less than if you were to watch it on actual 35 millimeter but like even if you were watching like a 2k something that's authored in 2k in the movie theater has more color depth than when you're watching it in 1080p on a dvd on a blu-ray at home okay. so like by recapturing that additional information it's really getting back to producing that like larger than life kind of feel where you just have a bit more of like an accurate sense of what it feels like to be in that room or be in that space. I thought that the if it was just 4K, I don't think that I, I don't think anybody would give a shit, to be honest with you. But with that extra color depth, I thought that that was the main wow factor for me in watching the 4K concept. Because we were watching 1080p content, I mean, like, we could have continued watching that movie that way. It wasn't, like, a deal-breaker. Yeah. But I think that it was that extra, just all that, it, like, it just felt like it almost gave, like, a 3D quality to the image, that it was so clear in, like, 
they're just such better contrast. Than so the, that's the a great question, and I guess the questions I have at the end of all of this. Um, now my eyes process color very weirdly. I used to think I was completely colorblind, and then I took a million tests, and the, every result is different. So my eyes just process color weirdly, which I think is actually why, you know, it's like a a, a subproduct of that is why I can see sharpness and detail different. Hundred percent, absolutely. You know, like the the person that's you know loses an arm now the other arm gets super strong, like whatever it is. So I would have to I would have to have another opinion in to really comment on the uh, HDR stuff because I think I think I saw a color difference but I more saw a detail difference. In oh, that's interesting. I thought that everybody was <laughs> we saw it with with his wife too. I I, I assumed that everybody had the same experience as me. But you so you really were sold more on the detail. Detail, but interesting. That, that is pro. I mean, I've explained things before to the guys in the retro roundtable. I've explained things where Steve will come back with a complete, op- I mean, the same findings, but his description is based on the color and color process. Uh-huh. Even though we, we saw the exact same inconsistencies. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's my issue in that. Um, so my, my questions after all of this are, you know, d- how much does the HDR make a difference? And once again, if I had a, a correct capture equipment for this, we could do side-by-sides. Um, what what else about the 3D image made it stand out to me so much as opposed to 1080p 2D? Was it that um, our 3D Blu-rays, Blu-rays essentially double the horizontal resolution and, and because there's one for each eye? And is that extra detail packed in there? Is that what's adding it to make it seem so much better than the 2D? Yeah, it is. Because, I mean, the, the concept in this, as far as I'm aware, and, and again, this is tying a little bit back to the to the film era mm-hmm. because there were 3D movies that were shot in, on film like not in the modern era but you know Creature from the Black Lagoon and stuff like that and the concept as far as 3D was concerned was that you were capturing the equivalent of like twice as much information and if you were to imagine the film era there was uh, you know there was grain right and if your your eyes are doing this gymnastics trick where it's evening where, where it's averaging out that grain between those two eyes and it was supposed to create something that like some people thought now I, I had a projectionist friend who had a who had a friend who shot home movies on 16 millimeter 3d and uh, was a a bit of a celebrity in the film projection community for this, and he would have his projectionist friends over. I never got to see it myself. Huh. But what these guys consistently said was that his 16 millimeter projection equipment that he had specially cut, calibrated for this 3D projection that he would do looked uh, almost indiscernible from 35 millimeter. And that the proper 16, 35 millimeter images like had the look of 70 millimeter because you were actually taking in more you know, like, more averages in resolution, provided it was perfectly in sync. And I think that the same logic probably applies to natively shot content. I'm not talking about the post-op, obviously, but, like, there are two pieces of, uh, you know, there are two cameras that are shooting that thing. And so they ask the answer to the question, then. Ask the question of why does a 1080p 3D Blu-ray look when done right, look that much better than a 1080p 2D, and it's because there's double the horizontal image. I mean, it's not so much horizontal; it's, it's vertical too. When you think about this, like it's it's just twice as much resolution. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, the 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 phenomenon actually also extends to to frame rate because you could you know extrapolate 
that it's sort of like watching something in 48 frames a second. You're basically getting twice as much information. So have you had any experience watching a, a, high, a high frame rate movie? Have you watched The Hobbit or... I shockingly didn't like it because uh, there was just one scene with Gandalf walking up a mountain and I just remember... Oh, we watched it together. We went to the IMAX. Yeah, we went to the, the correct yeah. calibrated IMAX projector, one of the best ones around, and I just remember watching that scene and going, it's Ian McKellen with a fake beard walking up a hill. It's not Gandalf walking up a mountain, and I don't know if the I, I don't know why I don't know if it felt too real. I thought I'd love it. Everybody else complained. It's super complicated trying to unpack it, but I think yeah. that the main reason why the Hobbit and I agree with you. I didn't think the Hobbit was the right format for was the right place to experiment for this at all. What I think is that like the whole concept of like the Lord of the Rings in general is like throwback and traditional and like ancient. And I think that, like, what... And there is, like, 12 hours of Lord of the Rings content that establishes what Little Earth is, what Middle Earth is supposed to be looking like. And I think when you, they just went and made this, like, completely radical change to something that nobody had ever seen before yeah. for this 48 frame, what I always thought that, like, if somebody Tron. wanted to... <laughs> I was going to say The Matrix. Like, if yeah. somebody shot The Matrix yeah. in 48 frames a second and it created, like, a certain, like new hyper real kind of look and unnatural kind of a look like point. people would have been more receptive to it and seen like oh maybe this thing that I'm registering is different is actually good it's but all a good point it absolutely just looks fucking wrong you see for, Ian McKellen for the Lord of the Rings yeah. amazing role as Gandalf and now it's just Ian McKellen in a fake mirror there's some people that think that that is the case and you know the, the real the real test for like what I thought it was like one of the worst movies I saw last year was Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, which was shot in 4K and 3D and at 120 frames a second. And it has this very strange effect on you when you're watching it. And I can't say this in my own practice, but um, uh, some of the film criticism that I read about it basically said that, um, that if you were to watch it in 24 frames a second, which is how it's available on just regular consumer video, um, the acting is better. Because um, when you see it at 120 frames a second, like you're more sensitive to like the subtle mistakes of the acting. Yeah. <laughs> and they say that like, and, and, and when I watched the film, I thought that there was bad acting in it. And uh, I read an article in Film Comment that basically said that, uh, yeah, so did I. And uh, when I watched it on DVD later on for like Academy consideration, it, it, the acting wasn't as bad. It still wasn't a good movie, but like it wasn't it. it, it, it it plays weird tricks on your brain. I think the 3D does the same thing. Yeah, the music industry went through that same thing with once everything was 100% digital, people started to realize how much so many of these artists sucked really bad. Because you could hear everything. Oh, really? Yeah, I never heard that, yeah. yeah. One of the things when we put out our album was the producer insisted on putting this digital fake tape noise, which to people... Well, tape noise, yeah, I've heard about that, people yeah. People with sensitive ears, like this crazy asshole, all I hear is hiss and pain. It just hurts my ears. And a lot of other people were like, oh, that's awesome. It sounds like a real album. And it, I mean, it was it was brutal arguing until I, we found somebody to, to remix the album to, to actually make it sound clear, but like with a nice little, you know, exactly the way you would a movie. You that, you know, you could you could get a higher frame rate but still blend shit in. And it's the same way. We, he was able to mix it in a way where it didn't sound so sterile and digital. Still sounded like an album, but you don't hear any of the noise. That's an art form in itself for both movies and music. So. I mean, I've heard that... I, I'm not in the world at all, so I don't know for sure, but I heard that, like, 
you know, whereas like shooting 35 millimeter in the movie industry is like has become very niche. Mm -hmm. I've heard that like shooting like recording analog tape is like fairly common practice still in the in the audio industry for for, for that common, basic reason. A common thing that people do nowadays, um, and there's so many insider secrets that you could you know watch on YouTube, but a common thing is you record everything into Pro Tools, and uh, just because. It's not cheating, it's just so much easier. I could roll out of bed at 7 o'clock in the morning, still kind of scratching the sleep out of my eye, plug in my guitar and play the most perfect guitar solo, in the one take, not cutting pasting, and just through a, a Focusrite box into my computer. And then take that later on and reamp it, not cutting performance, not changing anything. It's a true capture of the moment. But we decide, you know what, I don't like that amp. All right, give me two minutes. Plug it into another amp. Like the performance is captured, and that's that is why mm -hmm. it's such a big deal with music, and and the money, the money spent on it. So you take that, and then a very common thing to do is all digital, and then you go from a digital uh, mix to an analog tape, and then analog mastering. Uh huh. And then of course there's still the people. If you have enough money to spend between a thousand and two thousand dollars a day. You can go into one of those older studios and do everything in analog. But it is legit a thousand dollars a day. Oh, it must be at least that. I mean, yeah. I know that um, Random Access Memories, the last Daft Punk album, was just be one hundred percent analog. Really? Yep. Hmm. So what are you gonna do? I, I got a question just on that subject. Um, do you have any idea when the uh, like digital revolution like hit the music industry? It must must have been a little before. It, like the uh, in the film world, like is is this like in like going back to the nineties or like were they touching were they messing with it in the eighties? So like, um, do you have I, any idea? I am not an expert at this. I'm only I would call myself sort of an expert on what people do today. But I think what happened was there was so much overlap in technology for such a long time that a lot of the digital stuff that was done still had to be put through analog whatever for a while. Yeah. Um, and even like uh, Mike Portnoy would always complain that images and words had triggered drums. I think I'm getting that right. I love Dream Theater. Uh, I didn't know triggered drums existed until the mid-2000s. And that's when like uh, you, if you record each drum with its own microphone, if I hit a snare drum, and you want to replace that hit with the sound of another snare drum, you could do that. Today, it's super easy. You download a program for $60 and you could do that. But um, I would have never in a million years guessed that those were triggered drums until I read it in an interview. Like, it just because... And this is from an album... Images and the Words of My Dream Theater. Which is from the 90s. Mid-90s? Early 90s? Early 90s, yeah. Wow. And it was... But everything else was analog. So the processing, it still went on to tape, it still didn't mastered. So I think there was such an overlap of technologies. It wasn't until probably 10 years ago or, or less that you would see that in the music world where you'd start to hear overly sterile recordings. And you really would mostly hear them with uh, indie recordings or demos because all of the guys, guys, women, all the humans that have been in the industry forever always knew uh, the, uh -huh. you know the tricks how to run them through how it's all it's the old thing like oh we gotta mix it on this board this board sounds better that's not bullshit yeah, <laughs> if yeah. you have four analog mixing boards they will sound slightly different so mm -hmm. well I guess it's probably like what, what you're saying right there is probably key which is that like 
it was a while before it became like a 100% digital pipeline, but there was probably like little digital doodads and stuff that came in like much earlier. Like, what's exactly. that? Am I, am, I am I mistaken that the Edge in U2, like, his whole sound comes from like a digital delay pedal or something like that? Like, so I'm not the biggest U2 fan. Neither I. I do love the work that he did with the delay pedal, and I think it was this, uh, that, man, that wasn't Digitech. I think it was that blue blue delay pedal um, that's been around forever yeah. and I think he was just the master of bouncing notes off its own delay but uh, is that an analog thing or is that actually a digital thing it was an, an analog delay pedal it's an analog delay pedal. Yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about that. <laughs> no, 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 but it's, it's, it's still the overlap of technologies yeah. and I think I think that um, maybe I'm wrong because you're the expert in this side of things but I, I've seen a little bit of that um, the over the overlap of analog and digital, the first time I really started noticing it when we were kids was the X-Files, where you'd see something shot on film, and then you'd see this ridiculously cheesy CGI effect, which at the time it was like, I remember being a kid and being like, oh, that's that new computer-generated graphics thing, and you know, you just excused it because they're- Very easy to see. It's the TV. Back in the day, that was an excuse for Even on the shitty TVs, I remember very clearly seeing it. And but back then there was nothing else to compare it to, whereas now it's like, oh fucking come on, seriously? Yeah. yeah. Like, but yeah, I think that. Really, but once again, I mean, you have something. If you see the X Files remasters, which I, th- I people have complained, I thought they did a ridiculously good job on that. You you see something shot on film, and you know the the Blu-ray master looks phenomenal. Well, what did they do with the with the the CG assets? Did they um, redo them or? I, they, like, did they use the old, for, the I, old file for that or something? I think depending on the case, sometimes they redid them to try to look exactly like it. Sometimes they upscaled the effect. The only thing I do know is that all of the stock footage that was used between scenes, like, all right, let's, uh, there, there was no scene like this, but let's go to New York. And then there's just a stock pan of, like, the, uh, you know, the Empire State Building or something. Um, there wasn't literally that, but all of the stock footage was just upscaled. So you'll you'll have oh, these really? scenes okay. where it's like Mulder and Scully, crystal clear, kind of a, still a cheesy looking special effect. Next scene, five or six seconds of like a garbage shot of something generic. Immediately following like a beautiful film shot. Oh, that's you know, fascinating. Because yeah. you know you know my experience with this is um, my wife is like the world's biggest Star Trek fan. And they did a terrific job. Well, something that I heard, like, ultimately lost money at the end of the day. But, like, for the fans, I think it's, like, the best thing that happened in the series was they did, like, a square one, like, from original assets, like, remake of every single episode of The Next Generation. And <laughs> they're even very transparent about it. They'll, like, like, sometimes you'll queue up an episode and they'll give you a warning. It's like, there's three seconds of standard definition footage in this episode, kind of. I thing. love it, and it, I, I, I love, it. I love their attention to detail. Now, Next Generation is mostly done with like in-camera, um, you know, optical effects mm-hmm. and miniatures and all that kind of stuff, and multi-pass miniatures and all that kind of stuff. So you could, you know, for instance, like if you look at the the Enterprise and there's like the the the. the, the the things that like make it go in the back of it are glowing red, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the, the jets on the back of it. Like those are actually done on a separate pass. But you have a piece of film where it's like with the lights off, the flight the thing goes by, and then another one with like a smoke filter in front of it with the lights on, and you composite them together and it looks like the lights are on, all that kind of stuff. 
that's a whole like analog trick. They're able to reconstruct that. But there are a couple of CG effects in it. Like there's an episode where they meet this crystalline entity. It's early in the series, I think. And um, that was what they had to redo because the the CG back in the day was done on a fucking like like an Apple IIe or something like that. And then you, you literally my couldn't... My house yeah. in Bridgeport was one of the guys that worked on the, as like a contractor. On oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So he would do cheesy shots like, uh, hey, uh, we need a... Uh, we need a shot of the galaxy with the Enterprise in the background. You, here's a thousand dollars. Go do that. Like he was one of the those guys. But he showed me some of it. That's really cool. Yeah. But in any case, uh, what they had to do in that, the, like they couldn't restore those assets. We had to like it was gone, and I mean it looked cheesy as hell in the first place. But you, if, I think if they could have, they they would have done it. But in those contexts, they had to like remake the the crystalline entity, and they that's a new like, special um, effect made to look old. Made to look but, old, but new. Yeah. I watched, like, the first ten, uh, the next generation of the first season, and I, I just thought they did a phenomenal job on the remake. Although I heard that the original Star Trek series, I heard that the, the what they did to that looks like garbage. Well, the I think what you're... I could be wrong about this, but I think what they did in that one is they, they, they fucking George Lucas that shit. And they did new special effects. Now, those, they're, they're, like, updated oh. modern model work. And it wasn't from, like, 2010 that they did it, but, like, they redid the special effects for, like, TV broadcasts in the 80s or something like that, and that's what they've been using on the remakes. Um, but I've seen some of the... the you know, the, the funny thing is, original Star Trek and Next Generation, they're popular enough, if they're important enough, just for, like, sci-fi history, that, like, they did these rescans, mm-hmm. and... They said that Next Generation wasn't profitable enough, and they're, they they basically said, like, you shouldn't hold your breath on ever seeing, like, Deep Space Nine or Voyager, Ugh, like, in anything better than SD. And in some of those cases, like, those things get into where there's a lot more CG, and, uh, and again, like, that stuff is just lost forever. Like, keeping, like, how, like, if you wanted to have them, you gotta, you gotta be your, your level obsessive to get a Super Nintendo from the 90s working. Like, imagine, like, a fucking, like, silicon graphics, like, you know, like, video processing computer that probably has 10,000 hours, like, like, these things, like, are, are are not just obsolete, like, it would take, like, a very specific kind of technician to even turn the fucking things on anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I had actually a conversation with Mike Matei about the, the Star Trek stuff, and he he got as offended about the original Star Trek re- uh, remakes as I do when I hear a band uh, punch in live for a live recording. <laughs> uh, when they screw up live, so they re-record just one part of something. Like he was equally as offended at that as I was for that. So I kind of he's supposed to be a Star Trek fan, right? Oh, yeah. big time, yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, we got amazingly off topic a thousand times. I'm gonna have to blame Modelo. This this podcast sponsored by Modelo Especial, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know, closing thoughts. Um, if the movie is done properly, uh, I would take 3D over 4K, 3D 1080p over 4K. Um, if you have the opportunity to. A four uh, a 480p CRT, whether it's crazy like a BVM or even just a really nice VGA monitor, 
uh, for any content. Or maybe a, con a consumer grade TV. Would you add that to that, like a 480p TV, like for this, for, for what we're talking about now, like Knight Rider type stuff? I would like, need to test more 480p consumer grade TVs. Yeah. I agree. Um, but possibly for content that doesn't uh, translate well to flat screens. Um, I'd like to know more about all the things that we talked about, all the questions that we asked, and I. The only other thing that I could say for sure, which uh, you know I've been hearing from Tobias for what, four years now, however long we've all been talking, um, the player is a big deal, and the better the TV, the more you'll notice the difference in the player. Okay, you know we didn't even mention this, but and I don't even know why, but uh, we ran the movie for a little while off of the Raspberry the Pi. And it didn't. It just didn't look as good. And I so couldn't put my finger on why. If we had never looked 3D, if we had never looked at the other solutions, I would have thought it was a perfectly good solution. Yeah. But compared to, uh, it was the Xbox One S. Compared to that, that playing 3D versus the 3D ISO. Uh, yeah, I absolutely noticed the quality difference. I mean, even your wife did. Who doesn't? Who's not obsessive like we are? She's like, yeah, this isn't. No. Turn this one off. This isn't working. Like, yeah. Absolutely. So uh, make sure to choose the correct player, no matter what it is that you do. And those are my thoughts on that. And I would like to revisit all of these things. And I would like to do it again with the ability to capture 4K and 3D and to be able to do even just stills might even demonstrate a lot of what we're talking about. I want to get DF Retro out to do movies with me. That guy's fucking amazing. John Lerman. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't realize the, uh, the extent that he went into until I interviewed him. That, yeah, we should get him. We should try to rope him. If you're if you're watching, we're after you, John. That's it. <laughs> you're next. You're coming out for movies with us. So, <laughs> but yeah, anything else to add? No, I don't think so. All right, so uh, you guys, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, so, what, do you want to hear more things like this from us? Uh, are you just sitting here the whole time pissed that we're not talking about retro gaming, Super Nintendo? Um, you have any thoughts on some of the, the video stuff that we have, especially consumer grade high def CRT TVs? So many fucking acronyms in that. But um, do different consumer grade HD TVs uh, process signal different? Is that one Sony, which I will put the model number in the description, is that one different? So I, I'm really looking forward to hearing what everybody has to say on this one. Yeah, me too. And. Uh, Probably whether you like it or not, we'll do another release. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll talk about best uh, 3D Blu-rays. Oh, I would love to That'd do be one fun. of those. If you guys want, post down below. We'll definitely do it. All right, thank you, Scott, for taking the time to do it. Thank you guys for watching. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Bob.